1: That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
0: Hi everyone, this is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Scott Galloway and Kara Swisher has a cold. I'm Kara Swisher with a very bad cold. We have such really... Big news here. And I'm very serious. Yes. And if-
2: Scott is getting a vasectomy. No, no,
0: no. <laughs> that's not what's going on. It's related. You have one. It's related.
2: N- it's related. So do you want to break it's the related. news or should I? I shall because it is not about you. Oh, everything's Incredibly, about me. About- Come on. Go
0: ahead. <laughs> no, uh, Bring not. it back to me and so trust me. I'll, I'll be able to do this. Because um,
2: you love my yep, children so yep. much and because you always talk about how I'm a perfect yep. parent, which I am, I've decided that it's a good idea. And, of course, I had nothing to do with it that we have yet another child. My lovely wife and I, Amanda, are having another baby due in December. So we are four kids. That's
0: what we're doing. We're being
2: very inappropriate. And are we for- allowed
0: to talk about the sex of the kid?
2: Yeah. Uh, Sure. Yes. Yeah. It's it, yes. I guess it's it's a boy. Um, so I will have three boys and one golden child, girl, and uh, the two of us will. And uh, I'm very excited. I'm very excited. I feel like only lesbians and evangelicals are having that many children, and except ours are getting vaccinated.
0: I am so excited. And by the way. <laughs> Of course, like every piece of good news, I have a yeah. nice emotional response. I think people like you and Amanda should have kids. I think that's good for the world. Yes, we have good kids. We have and good does, kids. I'm not bothered by your age because you're rich, and mm-hmm. the fact that this when this kid's going to college, you'll be. Let me see, dad. You'll be dead. dead. <laughs> I that think is it's, the only <laughs> thing.
2: That is the I thought, you know, my oldest son turned to me and he said you were almost out, mom. Y-
0: you mean you Bane? Almost
2: out. Yeah, Bane, my 19-year-old lovely son, Louis, t- literally, and you'll see him at code next week. Um he turned to me and he was literally like you are this close to
0: Bane. I think you lean in. There's a Sultan of Brunei with 45 kids. You're the Sultan of Wokistan. I think you go for like a dozen yeah, kids. Yeah, my other my other son
2: was saying that some men had uh, he was telling me about I think it was a Genghis Khan, I can't remember which one is. He had like 300 kids. So I feel okay. I feel okay. I cannot have 300 kids.
0: So you kids. know, yeah. there's a decent chance I'm the father, right? No. 100%. Okay, so this is how. This this is a true story. Right, okay. True story. And again because of your voice I'm I'm, you know, I'm Jeff, taking over the show. You know, there was
2: a, there was an item when my first son was born that Jeff Bezos might be the father. So that's got as much accuracy as this, but go ahead. Go please avail yourself.
0: Okay, so true story cuz I was an athlete for 7 months I had something called access to the athlete job board at UCLA. Yeah. And one of the jobs is, I, you know, people say, follow your passion, the money will follow. Well, I found that for nine months, and that is, no joke, I became a sperm donor. Yes,
2: I remember this.
0: And me and two water polo players went to this clinic, Mm -hmm. and they took pictures of us basically naked, an IQ test, a personality test. yeah, And then also, probably too much information, we had a VD test, and at that point I decided I would rather die. Now they do hundreds of tests, just so you know. But go ahead. I would rather die of a venereal disease and have another VD test. I fainted when they gave me the VD test. And I remember waking (laughs) up to a semicircle of nurses thinking, they're never going to want my fainting sperm. They're never gonna want my sperm. <laughs> no, they don't. Sperm. They're very strict now. Anyway, I got called back like yeah. three or four times a week, and it made no sense because I went with these two guys who were All better right. looking it's but like, smarter. Let's than land me. this sperm plane, okay? Right. So, okay. So you know what I had? I yeah. asked the people at the clinic. I said, "All right, why is my sperm like Bitcoin? Although we didn't yeah. have Bitcoin like that." Yeah. And they said, "You have the peanut butter and chocolate of sperm donation in West Los Angeles." Can you guess what that is? What is it? What is it? It's such a
2: disgusting uh, metaphor you're making, but go right ahead.
0: Tall and Jewish. True story. Okay. Tall and Jewish. And it put me through my junior year. Story's not over. Yeah. No joke. Put me Uh, through my junior year of college doing something I was outstanding at. Okay. And then my mom. (laughs) Oh, my God. uh, This is a true story. My mom sat me down and said, you need to stop. Okay, because we need to start talking about the Emmy
2: soon, but go ahead. Because
0: your kids could meet your yes. brother and sister and fall in love. No. And no, this is totally unregulated, no. so there's a chance I have 11 or 12,000 children. Okay. So, <laughs> so if your son, <laughs> when you go to get its driver's license, yeah. is 5'10, 120, with bad acne, angry, but funny, but yeah. funny, yeah. and really good on a skateboard. Yeah. Chances are, I'm no. I'm your baby daddy. <laughs> no,
2: it's too old. Your sperm is too old, and it
0: was unregulated.
2: No, you are not the father at all. Let me just disabuse everybody. Wouldn't that be nice? No, wouldn't that be? It nice? would be. Except I could sue wouldn't you for a nice? lot of money. No,
0: I think that would make you us know. I just closer. interviewed
2: today Ann Wojcicki from 23andMe, and we had a lot of discussion. About I
0: still this. don't understand what they're doing. Except you're not supposed to do it, right? Because then people can find out if you're their well, dad.
2: You know, if they put it up on the internet, yes. If people do that. 23 man isn't doing it. The people put up their results.
0: So, you know, there's a site you can go to as a former sperm donor. And if you acknowledge that you want to be contacted, an email goes out to everybody. The problem is you don't know if it's two people or 200. Yes, that's
2: true. My my son's found uh, two of their sisters this year
0: through another one. Really? Yeah.
2: They look just like him. Wow. We were joking with Louis about whether there'd be an, he would make an attractive woman one day, and the next day we saw a picture of his half-sister. She's very attractive. It was very funny. <laughs> this is life with wanna, the lesbians. I, I want so now I want to four finish. children. Okay, let's get back to Amanda and me and the children. Yeah. No,
0: I want to finish where I started. Okay. I think that the reason we're here is to create a better world through happy, yes. loving, secure children. And I think the two of you are outstanding at that. I like all, I think all your kids share those qualities. Yes. So well done. It's a good service. Kara, I'm okay with you having <laughs> okay. kids at the age of 78. You okay. and Tony Randall, <laughs> okay. I'm fine with it. Okay. I'm fine. With uh, all
2: right. I'm very excited. I'm I think I'm four is my limit. It's great news. Um if not I turn into a like an Appalachian story. So uh, I am very excited and I'm and I'm Amanda so is the best parent and my other kids are great and I co parent my kids with with a very wonderful person, too. So I'm a very lucky lady with all these children. I agree. All, I would and, agree with you. And my fifth child, who is always Scott Galloway. Anyway, you know who is it. the most difficult? Who is literally you know like the golden child is so much easier than you are in every aspect, just so
0: you know. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Anyway, thank you, Scott. I'm very excited. And I I asked Amanda's permission to say this, but we're super excited. So I may take a few weeks off during that time period, but probably not.
0: I'll probably be unacceptable. (laughs)
2: Unacceptable.
0: And by the way, the reason you are in this relationship with someone younger, cooler, and hotter than you is because you make the cabbage and the Benjamins. Let me give you a little. Fair Let me point. give you a little inside track on what it means to be a daddy. Fair it means point. you bring home the cabbage. That is true. So that is no true. time off. No time off. No all right. time off. So I will
2: see you at Code next week too. So we'll talk about that. That is
0: very uh, exciting. We'll,
2: we'll Code. We'll Code. Code is coming. Code. So um, speaking of which, going to Hollywood, did you watch the Emmys yeah. last night? Did you watch
0: them? Uh, I joined oh. several hundred million people in not watching it. Yeah, um, there's a lot of
2: not watching of the Emmys and the Oscars. They're all worried about that.
0: Well, they should be. And not only that, it was essentially the thing that struck me, and The Hollywood Reporter had the best line on this, this was CBS airing its own funeral. Do you realize that nine years ago, not a single OTT show was nominated? And this year, the broadcast commercial supported networks got one award for Colbert's election night coverage. I mean, it's literally, they literally aired their own funeral. It's just striking how the baton has been passed so aggressively and completely.
2: Yeah, except for, yeah, you're right, The Crown and Queen's Gambit from Netflix cleaned up. Ted Lasso and Hacks did in comedy, that's Apple TV Plus and HBO Plus, which does make a lot of TV. Hulu had 21 nominations and came out with zero statues. One thing that was disturbing is there was a lot of people of color nominated, and it was Emmys, so white once it, yeah. again? I think it was true. I think uh, Matt uh, Bellany wrote a great piece about this. And not just the Emmys, but the Oscars, all these awards. I find them really unsatisfying in the way I didn't used to, and I don't know yeah. what that is. I think it's because I I don't mind watching just the clips. Like, they have commercials, and they're boring. Uh, Michaela Cole made an amazing speech and and gene smart who won uh, for for hacks did an amazing, amazing speech so just and then they they like take her off they like were, it was just like what what what's yeah. the point of these the only thing that's cool is sort of the clothes i guess just like with the uh, vmas or the met ball They're, that's kind of cool but it also feels like another era i don't know about you but I, I don't know what happens to these. What What do you imagine happenings in the, in the digital age with streaming services sweeping all these
0: times? I think we all go have a high ball at the Polo Lounge with James Garner and let every, you know, yeah. this shit is just so outdated. You literally feel older just watching. Yeah. I didn't watch it. I watch, I'm like, I'll find the funnest bits on Twitter. Yeah. I was trying to look for the second order of the meta theme effect here. And what it strikes me is that we talk a lot about income inequality. Right. But typically when anything becomes digitized and certain players attract a lot of capital mm-hmm. and implement technology, there's inequality or the genie coefficient goes up and there's a concentration of power. And yeah. it's happened with content. There are 500 original scripted programs. Yeah. And basically five swept all the awards. Yeah,
2: You know, it's really interesting
0: because everyone's sort of bemoaning streaming in Hollywood. But I've never watched more TV and liked it. Oh, 100%. More. But the semantics of it have changed. One, people will no longer tolerate advertising because they don't need to. Two, the new water cooler is social. Mm -hmm. I've been talking about Mr. In Between and I talked about The White Lotus and I heard from both networks saying, do you want information about it? Because the new, yeah. quite frankly, Twitter, people no longer talk about programs. It's their social graph. I think it'll be interesting to talk to Ari Emanuel
2: next week at Code mm-hmm. um, and some others because it's really it, – has changed rather dramatically. And they keep talking about streaming in Hollywood. I'm like, it's just entertainment. It's like when people talked about the internet versus as a separate thing. And I was like, at some point, it's electricity. It's just what it is. Anyway, it's an interesting. Yeah, but their
0: business models are different in one group. I mean, keep in mind, the traditional cable bundle still does three times the profits of the OTTs, but it trades for a third of the market capitalization because the world has decided both human and financial capital are running to non-ad supported streaming. So it, it presents this really interesting challenge for the traditional guys where they have to change a jet engine while flying. And that is, how do we make the sorts of requisite investments and content to keep up with these guys while at the same time trying to hold on to our opioid-induced constipation ads. Yeah. So it's a very— It'll be um, interesting to
2: see what David Zasloff, I met him, by the way, um, mm-hmm. does at Warner, because he's banking on the idea that that, that is the only thing they do, and they do it really well. And I get that. I get that. Something that was interesting is they lost, for the first time, Chris Nolan, who went over in a bidding war. I don't believe people were bidding for a hundred, some $100 million deal where he gets to release it in theaters, and it's about the making of the atomic mm-hmm. bomb. and. I like him well enough, even though Tenet, like whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was just sort of interesting that how they seem to be playing in an old school while acknowledging the new school. Anyway, it's an in, it's going to be an interesting time.
0: Yeah, Zaslav and Zucker. First off, I've, I've never heard of a company with two <laughs> guys with Z's running them. But yeah. uh, the, the CNN Plus, yeah. uh, I think it's going to be super interesting. I'm super excited yeah, about it. We'll but see. these guys. So far, the traditional guy's streaming networks, whether it's Peacock, Fox has something, yeah. have kind of been a thud. Because if you don't go all in, yeah. it just doesn't work.
2: Yeah, it doesn't. We'll see what they do. We have to get to a bunch of things. But just so you know, your man boy, Beta
0: O'Rourke,
2: is expected to run for governor
0: of Texas. Governor he keeps O'Rourke? doing this,
2: like, coy thing. Drives me crazy.
0: He drives me crazy, too, that little oh, hunker. Of...
2: No, not in a good way. No, listen. But current polling shows that Greg Abbott is a five-point lead over O'Rourke. Even after the Texas abortion stuff, that's that's. Dead. Down from a 12 point lead. But in context, Matthew McConaughey is polling better than O'Rourke against the governor. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, all right, all right. I would so like, I occasionally consult to a candidate on its communication strategy, and I'm the you kiss do? of death. Who? I am the kiss of death. Nobody ever wins that I consult to. Lindsey Graham? Who?
2: Who are you consulting? Uh,
0: Well, I'll just say I'm a big – I'm a fan of Senator Bennett. I'm a fan of Andrew Yang. And occasionally they – I I don't want to overstep my uh, my role. I've just – occasionally they're nice enough to call me, which probably means they just want me to write them a check. But anyways, I think Matthew McConaughey could just win with just one statement. What? It's a church picnic and daddy's brought the egg salad. Hello, (laughs) hello, hello. I mean – that guy he will say absolutely nothing and it'll sound very compelling. All right, all right, all right. Unfortunately, between him and Beto, yeah, it's like watching, I don't know, two Venezuelans in Miss Universe. It's like, Okay, she's hot, she's hotter, no, she's hotter.
2: Well see what you know what's gonna happen? Greg Abbott's gonna squeak in there. He's such a menace, but there you go. I would
0: bet the good money's on him getting reelected. We'll see. Unfortunately, we'll see. we'll see. I don't know.
2: They're very attractive candidates, for sure.
0: Okay, Kara, I'm going to slip into the MC booth here. I am Cedric the Entertainer. Okay, oh, no. time for our first big story: Russia versus Big Tech. A couple of things went down here. First, Google and Apple pulled an election-related app after the Russian government outlawed it, hmm. and the app was used by Russian opposition candidates. The Russian government reportedly threatened Google and Apple employees with prosecution. Well then. Also, Google pulled down YouTube videos and Google Docs used by supporters of dissident leaders Alexei Navalny, So do you think Google and Apple had any options here, or do you think this is just big tech continuing to say? We're not
2: paying a lot of attention to what's happening abroad, but what's going on in Mm -hmm. India and Russia and wherever they are, they're facing massive problems, which are almost opposite the ones here, Mm -hmm. which are kind of interesting, where they have to really apply themselves to the laws of those countries. This has happened before in Germany in the past and stuff like that. But it's it's really difficult to know what to do here except not have employees in those countries, which complicates the situation. But every country is going to have their own splinter net, which is – these. I don't envy these companies operating in, under these things. And at the same time, they look terrible. They look like Putin's puppets in lots of ways. What do you think?
0: I think it's easy to be a purist when you're not running a global company. And the reality is global companies have to comply with the law, the domestic laws they want to operate in. and Sometimes these laws are you know, kind of the externalities of a kleptocracy or an autocracy, and they have a very difficult decision to make, and that is, do we want to engage and support and create economic growth for what are sometimes very corrupt governments, and sometimes even worse, we want to be vehicles for that corruption in terms of forking over data or letting them have our servers. They're in a very tight spot. I usually am not that empathetic or sympathetic to tech companies, but it's... It's very difficult. I usually side on the side of the companies, and I think there's a political reason to continue to engage with these companies, and that is when companies... I was talking about international students with a friend, and, and the bottom line is the easiest way to get into an elite university is to have a, an exceptionally wealthy parent from a mm-hmm. foreign country and get your kid in by making a big donation. And that's a bit of a, an overreach, but I think it's largely true. But I still think it's a good thing because when people interact with each other, they're less likely to go to war with each other. So I think that when Pepsi went into Russia, I think actually Apple in China is actually good. I think it takes the temperature down of conflict because we have a lot to lose. And everybody understands the currency of money. And so before China you know, gets all angry about Australia in a submarine, they still have to think, well, well, how gangster do we wanna go because there's a lot of people here making a living from our relationship with an American company. So I like our American companies being overseas. And
2: well, I think I think they have no power in these countries. I mean, that's the problem. What's going Sorry? on in India is particularly because that's a that's a democracy, right? It's not like Russia where Putin runs the show and everything else, but or China yeah. or anywhere else. And what's interesting is um, in this country, of course, the right accused them of censoring over Trump's big lie. They were not censoring; they were cleaning it up. But where they can do things about it they do in the case of russia they certainly had very little choice and and it gave the uh, Navalny people a, a a big focus even though they didn't win united russia which is putin's party won rather handily i think but not as well as they did before and i think they're he's going to try to hold on to the reins of power and that's via yeah. internet companies no matter what and they may be different in what they do in each country and so they'll look like, it'll be like a patchwork of solutions, none of which will agree with each other.
0: Telegram blocked a chatbot used by Navalny yeah. uh, supporters. So what do they do there? They don't. I don't know what people in fascist countries do
2: because these people are <sighs> going to control no matter. And by the way, Trump would have done it if he could in this country, too. That's right, so, that's right. I don't know. I, You know, I don't tend to side with the tech companies, but in this case, boy is, I would not want to, these people did not study for this test.
0: No, it's a, it's it's a tough spot, and I usually I don't usually fall on the side of tech, but I think you got to uh, I think they deserve a bit of a hall pass here because I do think there's real benefits not only to Americans pulling revenues out of these countries or monetizing activity over there for the benefit of our our shareholders and our employees mostly mostly. But commerce has been kind of the solvent or the neosporin for a lot of war, I think. I think we're just less likely when we trade with each other to go to war. I don't know. I think if one of them
2: stood up to them, it
0: would be quite a thing.
2: I would like to see
0: that. Well, Google, to be fair, Google kind right? of did, right? Google, you don't think so? You Google know, said, no, we're not playing. Well,
2: I don't, you know, in certain places,
0: I think it's really,
2: I just, there's no good answer here, just like yeah. our next topic.
0: All right, Kara. Let's go on a quick break. And when we come back, we'll discuss Facebook's attempt at damage control, and then we'll talk to a friend of Pivot about about mm, Peter Thiel.
1: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline, because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down.
0: okay we're back with our second big story facebook is responding to the wall street journal's outstanding series on facebook vp of global affairs nick clegg says the journal quote deliberately mischaracterized facebook's actions well that's a shocker clegg said facebook doesn't conduct research and then systematically and willfully ignore it if the findings are inconvenient for the company that's exactly what the fuck they do clegg anyways The latest reporting covered Zuckerberg's failed vaccine push and looked at the role of Facebook comments in undermining vaccine confidence. The journal reported that at a gathering of Facebook's leadership this month, some officials wondered whether Facebook had gotten too big A Facebook spokesperson pushed back on that depiction as well. What are your thoughts here, I have a lot of thoughts
2: I wrote about it. I I mean, his thing was called what the Wall Street Journal got wrong or what Nick Clegg got wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, it's actually – he's their company's smoothest operator, let's be clear. And unlike other executives who've been responding on Twitter, he didn't embarrass himself. But what he did Mm -hmm. is he said absolutely nothing because I think probably he was sitting in his office – and, and he's gotten very close to Zuckerberg and others there and powerful. And he had to say something because saying nothing was a problem, right? And mm-hmm. it's not just one topic. It's like 10 topics they've sucked at, right? And mm-hmm. so one of the things I think that he tried to do was put confusion and obfuscation in, in a way by saying things like, it, this is complex and people are working on it. And Mm -hmm. we're not bad people. How dare they call us bad? That's not what the journal story said. So nobody is saying that Facebook is Thanos. They just didn't. Mm -hmm. But he pretended that they did. So he said at the heart of the series is an allegation that's just plain false. That Facebook conducts research and then systematically and willfully ignores the findings. Or the findings are inconvenient for the company. They didn't say that. They said that they make these calls, and they're usually made by Mark Zuckerberg, and he makes a lot of bad calls. And that's different. There's a lot of people. And then the second thing is he talked about cherry-picking pieces uh, and selective quotes from the stories. And then Mm -hmm. he cherry-picked a study that's favorable to Facebook. And then the last thing he did, which drove me crazy, is he did this. The jury is still out on whether social media is to blame. Like, it's nascent. It's early. And so we don't know yet. And it's it sounds so much like the cigarette manufacturers. You know what I mean? Like, it, nobody's saying they caused the January 6th attacks. People are saying they're part of the problem by letting President Trump do all these things. So he, he's a very clever man, and he got to this problem late. He's trying to throw FUD into this, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know.
0: Well, that's what they do. They create that great series with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant and his defense attorney said, I create muck, you know, I kind of gum up the prosecution's case. And I think this all, I was on a panel this morning with Sir Martin Sorrell with Reuters and he, we brought up teen depression and he said, teen depression is complex. It involves alcohol, it involves drugs. And I said, you're right. And we've regulated all of those things. Right. But one key component, or what appears to be a key component, where one in eight British girls are citing yeah. as their motivation for actually contemplating suicide is a company and an industry that we don't regulate. We decided that people under the age of 21 should not drink alcohol. We criminalize drugs. We decided that pornographic content should be age-gated. But yet, this industry, you're right, it's it's multidimensional, but every other dimension seems to have regulators concerned about it. For me, it goes all the way back to the classified ad business, and that is the classified ad business was a monopoly. If you wanted to sell your 1984 Honda Accord great car, which I had and sold, you had mm-hmm. to run a little $30 ad in the classifieds. Classifieds and papers have monopolies or duopolies, and that was used to fund outstanding newsrooms and slowly but surely newspapers and specifically classifieds got picked apart and then technology started garnering all the resources and what have we had care in the last 30 years? The number of journalists in the United States has been cut in half and the number of PR executives has gone up yeah. sixfold. So the ratio yeah, of bullshit yeah. to investigative journalism has gone in the wrong direction, 12X. And Nick Clegg is an example yeah, of that. What's interesting here
2: is when, when Amazon objected to that story the Times had, they had a detailed, detailed, you know, argument against it. And in a weird way, I respected it more. This was like, I don't know, a thousand words or less. I don't even think it's a thousand words. And he didn't say anything except he didn't say anything. Like, that's what I was like, sort of, so, so a lot of people are calling it a non-denial denial. Mm-hmm. I don't really know, but I was, I was like, I get to the end, I'm like, okay, where's the, def- oh, it's not here. Right? So what mm-hmm. we want from you, Nick Clegg, is transparency. Like, if you, let let your researchers in. Let people in explain yourselves better instead of being so
0: that's fucking never defensive. like it, let's send in senator klobuchar we're not <laughs> that's who we need to send in we're not sending klobuchar
2: it's kind of funny it's weird i literally was i got to the end and i was like Where's the rest of this? Like, where's the actual defense? This, the journal thing was like a mizzillion words long. Which one, what's the, what, what are the selective quotes? Which are misquoted? Can you explain what you're talking about? Like, that's what's not in here. And I think it's just typical. They're like victims and they've been like badly treated by people. And why don't you love us for all the good you've done? So, If he's going to bring it, bring it a little bit more.
0: Let me me present a question to you. I've been thinking a lot about this. I mean, I feel like they've overrun government. They've overrun media. They've overrun communications. And resources have entirely flipped, where the government used to show up with the biggest stick. And now it's tech companies, where 44 states ask, have to ask Facebook not to launch Instagram for kids, versus they used to just tell them. I've been thinking a lot about Michael Milken. Yeah. Michael Milken. Uh, innovator, became a billionaire, uh, was found of wrongdoing and went to prison for 10 years. Do you think that Mark Zuckerberg or Michael Milken, who has levied more damage on the commonwealth, Michael Milken or Mark Zuckerberg?
2: i not Probably Zuckerberg. I
0: don't know. Let, uh, let me ask you another question. If Michael Milken were, were born 30 years later and he was the CEO of a super hot fintech company mm. and got accused of insider trading but he was an innovator and a billionaire as the head of a fintech company, would he be sent to prison for no, 10 years? No,
2: You know, I remember that Connie Brooke book was so good, The Predator's Ball. Do you remember that?
0: Yeah, great. It's the same
2: bullshit. You know, anyway, we've got to get to our friend to pivot, but let me just say bring the evidence, Nick. Like, that's all. Like, do something detailed and specific. Mm -hmm. Instead of this, we're not bad people. We don't think you're, well, some people think you're bad people. I think Scott does. I think there is a problem with the architecture of what has been made that it's impossible to fix. Let's have that discussion. They don't want to have that discussion. Anyway.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping that Lena Khan and Tim Wu bring specifics on the antitrust case yeah, and that they federalize the Texas AG's cartel investigation, which has criminal remedies. That's who needs to bring 100 it. years from now, we'll know the real damage here. But
2: honestly, it feels like cigarette makers now. This is what Mark Benioff said to me years ago, and I, mm-hmm. and I laughed at him. I was like,
0: come on. So let's bring in our friend to pivot, Kara, Max Chafkin. Max is the author of The Contrarian, Peter Thiel, and Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power, which is out today. What a thrill. What a thrill. We have access to Max. I'm here. All right, Max. Okay, so first question. You report on a meal between Thiel, Zuckerberg, and the Trump White House where Zuckerberg and Kushner cut a deal. Facebook won't fact-check political speech, and the White House won't regulate social media. So to the unholy alliance, say more.
3: Yeah, and we've, we've seen conversations about this going on. There's been lots and lots of conjecture, and, and I think actually quite a bit of pretty persuasive evidence that's that's come out suggesting that Facebook was trying its best to kind of cater to Donald Trump to, to avoid, for lack of a better word, pissing off. You know the Trump administration, and there was this dinner at the White House with uh, Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Peter Thiel and his husband, and uh, Jared Kushner uh, and Ivanka and Donald Trump and Melania. And after the the meeting, as I report in the book, Thiel uh, told a, a confidant that you know basically Zuckerberg had cut a deal. Now I don't I don't know. Again, it could have been maybe this is a tacit deal, or or maybe this is just a wink, wink, or something like that. I'm sure there's there's opportunity for dispute, but at least Peter Thiel's understanding, you know, as far as, as I know, was that was that it was a deal? Oh, can I ask you a question? Because I know Peter really well, and I I met him decade ago. Of course, he tends
2: to exaggerate sometimes. You know what I mean? Like for his power, right around his power and what power he has. And in this case, he did have a lot of power with Trump. And I think he finds. Let me just say, Peter Thiel is one of the smartest people I've ever met. Like in Silicon Valley, he's so he's so interesting in mind. I don't like everything that comes out of his brain. But talk a little bit about how he got into power there and whether, you know, he sort of wielded it in Silicon Valley right at the start with that crazy meeting that Trump had with them.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, it was this kind of big mystery uh, back in 2016 when when Teal shows up on the, um, you know, on, on the list of delegates for Donald Trump then speaks at the convention, then donates to uh, to Trump. And there was some dispute, right? Some people are saying, well, he doesn't really like Trump. This is some kind of contrarian head fake, or maybe he, you know, maybe really this is an expression of his, his um, you know, total value system or something like that. I I think it's a bit of both. And I think it it, it did a bunch of things for him. I mean, uh, of course, it it got him in the room with Trump, uh, you know, got him a significant role in the transition. And we could, we could talk about how what he did with that and whether it was really worth it. It also kind of put him in a position, as you kind of hinted at, as a power broker, as somebody who can sit between Mark Zuckerberg, hmm. you know, I, I'd argue most powerful media mogul in the world, maybe in human history, and and the president of the United States. And we saw that, as you said, in the that there was an early 2016 meeting with Zuckerberg and a bunch of kind of conservative conservative where Teal's kind of right in the middle there. And, and that has kind of continued where Teal has sat in that power broker role. And I think you can argue about how much influence he's really had. Of course, Zuckerberg you know, is the absolute dictator, more or less, of Facebook. So I don't, you know, Peter Thiel can't force him to do anything. Although I do think that, and I think, Kerry, you've brought this up a, a bunch of times. I think Th- teal has had a big influence on Zuckerberg's yes, yes. ideology his worldview and I think you, you kind of just continually see that in in sort of the the news that that comes out about Facebook the things that Mark Zuckerberg says and and so on the only thing is Mark is not nearly as smart as teal like I know that sounds
2: crazy from someone who, who doesn't agree with him almost anything but one of the things he has is he's very smart I don't know how else to put it he's so smart and I think his books are interesting and things like that again I don't typically agree with him on a lot of things but talk a little bit about why you focused on him because I think he's a unique personality in Silicon Valley in terms of disdainful of sort of liberalism does play a little bit with like there's such liberals here when in fact Silicon Valley people aren't that liberal you know actually they're more like Peter actually in my in my experience
3: I mean I totally agree with you on that on that political judgment and I I mean I think he's interesting because look he's he's as you say you know one of the most important if not the most important sort of venture capitalist of course there are people who have more money and um have had maybe maybe arguably better returns or whatever but in terms of the kind of cultural impact and the philosophical impact I think it's pretty unusual I mean just just to take one Example: which other Trump adjacent figures have come out super well out of the Trump administration? Like, I mean, how many other early transition figures, you know, Steve Bannon, Stephen Miller, the people he was really playing with, like, they have not come out super well. And, and Teal, on the other hand, I think, has come out looking rather good. I mean, it obviously depends on your point of view and your judgment, mm-hmm. but he's out there, you know, sort of making new political moves, you know, supporting these Senate candidates, J.D. Vance and Blake Masters, who are both kind of, you know, employees or ex-employees. Employees, you know, they're really ideological extensions of Peter Thiel, I would argue, and so he's had this continued political impact. He's still on Facebook's board despite giving Zuckerberg a zillion reasons to, you know, can him. So I think he's he's actually done very well. You know, obviously navigating very very difficult and controversial period.
0: Max, it strikes me that, uh, and this is a loaded word, but that Peter Thiel is genuinely misunderstood. Not in the sense that. People have more of a negative or a positive impression than they should. But it, I think it's difficult to kind of put your thumb on this guy or to get your understand the pulse of, of what drives him. He's obviously brilliant and arguably one of the best investors in history, incredibly influential, but really likes Trump then doesn't like him. What about him, his complexion, his personality, what drives him? It was most surprising to you. Do you think the public may not understand about him?
3: Well, so one thing that I think is overlooked about Peter Thiel and is overlooked about many of these um tech figures is to the extent to which like he's a really great marketer, right? Like <laughs> yes. you can talk about Peter Thiel as 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 an as an investor, as you know, as as an operator. Of course he ran, you know, he ran PayPal for a short amount of time. But, but where he's really been influential is is creating this kind of larger than life persona. Laura, yeah, and and that's, that's Peter Thiel, the hero slash villain, the you know, whatever the, the contrarian, the, I think. The contrarian, know, right. yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And and I think and, and what's what's really interesting to me is the extent to which I think he has been the architect of that like I don't think it's been totally an accident I think he he of course wrote that book and has been sort of very judicious in how he kind of speaks and stuff um, but he also has this kind of army of followers it's not a conventional network you know you have the PayPal mafia of this inner circle mm-hmm. but then you have these you know, outer regions of it. You know, in in terms of like teal fellows, these young people yeah. who, um, you know, get get hundred thousand dollars drop out of school, and then they're kind of aspirants who are basically auditioning for Peter Teal's money, for Peter Teal's, you know, some piece of this empire. What's also
2: interesting is a lot of people like Reed uh, Hoffman and and others remain friends with him who are much different politically, and they, they're always saying to me, "Oh." We, You hung out with him. I've hung out with him not a lot, but enough. You really like him, and they he he does maintain those friendships. It seems like compared to some people who who do get abandoned when they're considered conservative or Trumpy or whatever.
3: Well, and I would argue, you know, I understand that Reed Hoffman and Peter Thiel are at opposite ends of the political spectrum in some ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Reed donates to to Democrats, and Mm -hmm. and Peter is pretty donates to like the Trumpiest of Trumpy Republicans, but. I would argue that they have maybe more in common. Oh, me than, too, yeah. Then, yes. you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's true that like there are some disagreements, but I think Reed shares many aspects of, of Peter's worldview. And I think, like you said, Kara, earlier, like I think Silicon Valley as a whole is not as left as people think. It's much closer to the to the sort of teal libertarian 100%. stuff. 100%. And, and yeah, maybe they're not all gonna go all the way to, you know, uh, hardcore Trump support, but but I do think they they agree with him. And And I think they also just sort of, they respect success, and and that I, I think that is something that should give people pause. I mean, I, I'm not sure that success is something that we should just like, you know, that 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 doesn't might doesn't necessarily make right. But but mm-hmm. I think among a lot of techies, they they sort of believe that at their uh, core.
0: Do you have any sense for what he'll do next? I mean, it seems like he's. He, I'm half expecting for him to announce that he's going to build a rocket. I mean, what kind of, what do you think is his next thing? As he just continues <laughs> to invest, or.
3: Well, so I think you have sort of two things going on. One is this continued political engagement. I mean, I think that, you know, he's, so he's donated um, 10 million bucks to J.D. Vance, uh, 10 million bucks to Lake Masters, sorry, pledged to their PACs, right? So not a direct contribution, but, but that's a, a, you know, 20X increase of his political spending, right? In 2016. I mean, he's, he's, he's definitely cranking it up a notch. And I think there's a a, a concerted play, you know, the move to Miami, I think is part of this to some extent, but there's a conservative play to become the sort of patron of this far Right populist nationalist movement that basically the Trump Party, whatever you want to call it, the thirty percent of the country that really loves Donald Trump. I mean, I think Peter Thiel wants to cultivate candidates in that domain and 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 maintain influence there. And I think you know he's he's making investments. He's he's continuing to invest. And I think he's I think similar in some ways to the Koch brothers in in the yeah. way that he combines hmm. politics and business, where it's like he has a business project and has a political project, but those two things are always connected and and they always sort of feed into each other. Where you have the the politics his his candidates are always going to be advocating i think for positions that are you know going to going to help his bottom line and help the bottom lines of his companies and then those companies kind of in turn are going to reinforce the the political side so you saw you know just to give one example at random but he and jd vance invested in this sort of right wing youtube competitor uh, free speech rumble. officially rumble mm-hmm. yeah and so hmm. I, I think you see things like that i think you know obviously he's he's definitely got some interest in, in in crypto although it's hard to figure out where exactly he wants to take that so i think he's just going to keep on keeping on on you know, to I think it
2: I think at the heart, I think he thinks Trump's an idiot. That would be my guess. Because for to That's him, it feels Trump like would it. be an idiot. Yeah. But I do think he hates government. Like I don't know what else to say. I remember an interview I did with him at the time, and both of us are gay. And I was I just had children and I was talking about getting adoption rights, you know, equal adoption rights. And he kept saying special rights. And I was like, equal rights. Like like I didn't I don't have the same rights. I have less rights. And so it was a really interesting discussion to have, I think, between us at a very early time in both our lives in a lot of ways. And it's just government he hates. Like, I don't want government in my business. I said, I want them out of my business, too. So get out of my adoption rights, right, that everybody else has. It was a really interesting discussion. But at the heart, anyone who wants to destroy government, I think he embraces is my take on the whole thing. Or, get, or, or minimize it to to an extent.
3: Totally agree. I mean, I think, of course he thinks Trump's an idiot, but he probably thinks a lot of, you know I mean? There, <laughs> there's probably an extent to which even if Trump were 50%, you know, more suave or something, he would still think he was an idiot. Maybe. But I do think that Trump, in a lot of ways, hits some of the buttons for Peter. I mean, yes, they're, they're like completely different. I mean, uh, Trump is kind of a reactionary from real estate. It's an industry I don't think uh, Peter totally respects. And there are just a million ways in, in which Trump's crass kind of character, I think, probably rubs in the wrong way. On the other hand, Trump's entire thing is this idea that he's going to say the things that that normal people, that the elites are afraid to say. You know, mm-hmm. political, uh, you know, incorrectness, I think, was core to Trump's candidacy, core to, you know, the appeal for of Trump for, to a lot of voters. And I'd say core to Peter Thiel's appeal. I mean, he wrote a whole book in the 90s called The Diversity Myth, which is like all about trying to sort of poke it in the eye. Of of mm-hmm. of the kind of left establishment, I, I think there is some genuine, you know, affinity between the between. Why doesn't the two he men. run? Why doesn't he run? That's, it that's,
0: just that's exactly what I, what would happen. Do you think he has it in? Do you think he'll run for office?
3: No, I kind of think not. I mean, there there was. You might remember there were rumors in in 2018, which I I don't think he seated of uh, that he was going to run for governor of California. I, I think mm-hmm. um, that probably came from a maybe a well-wisher or somebody who wanted to be hired uh, to to run his campaign. So I I think he's sort of more comfortable, you know, playing that behind the scenes role. I mean, he's not a particularly charismatic dude. I mean, he is in, in, in person You know, Kara, as you say, he's very likable. You know, there there are aspects to his personality that are very attractive, you know, and he's a good-looking man and stuff. But he doesn't have that kind of charismatic, like, politicians thing. You know, he stutters. He's kind of constantly revising. He's almost, you know, weirdly for somebody who loves, you know, bomb throwing, he's kind of weirdly too careful or something to be a political animal. And, I mean, I think we saw it even during the— You know trump transition it was almost like the dog that catches a car or something right
2: yeah he didn't he didn't seem to like the attention and liked it at the same time he didn't know what to
3: do with it yeah
2: trump was touching him do you remember he was (laughs) hugging him or whatever and he looked holding his hand he looked like he was like let me the out of here. Like I could see, Is I mean, maybe he liked it. I don't know. Don't ask me. But let me ask you a question about the story that was written about the $5 billion Roth IRA. It's so Peter Thiel that he could unlock in 2027. He saved all this money. Everyone's like, how dare he? And key, of course, is probably like, yes, I did it. Like I tricked the government taking my money again.
3: Right. Yeah, no, totally. It's not like uh, wanting to get out of paying taxes is any secret for Peter Thiel, right? That's mm-hmm. the kind of the whole point of seasteading and a whole slew of his kind of political activist projects are, are around, you know, tax exposure. It is a super aggressive thing that he did. I mean, these these Roth IRAs were created really for middle class and lower middle class taxpayers they are not designed to be, you know, used by billionaires. And I do wonder if he got to a position at some point where sort of got too big for its own good, where where once you have $5 billion in that, and it's probably a lot more by now, you're maybe a target in a way that you don't necessarily want to be. And, and you know, talking to people who are in his network and stuff, that, that fact you know, hangs over a lot of his dealings, a lot of his personal interactions. Like when you're in a position where, you know, <laughs> if things go bad politically at any point, you could owe, you know, I don't know, a couple billion dollars. That's that's kind of, he's got a lot riding on every, uh, every tax mm-hmm. policy, policy conversation, including some conversations that are, you know, going on right now. You know, he's been depicted, I worked
2: a little bit on the Silicon Valley show, by two different people in that show. The one guy in the first season who I thought actually did a great job with the hamburgers and this and that. And then also this whole blood thing. Can you... Talk about that because, you know, this life extension thing, and there's others. Larry Ellison has made some investments in that area. Lots of Silicon Valley people do that. Can you give us like what's actually happening? Because it's easy to call him Blood Boy. Yeah, I I
3: don't think, and I spent some time kind of trying to look into this. I I Mm -hmm. don't think there's a lot. I mean, the Blood Boy thing is satire, basically. Yes, is going to be my is my wants to look
2: good. That's my whole
3: thing. Uh, I'm sure (laughs) And, and not
2: die and not die so quick.
3: But I and I do. I'm not even sure how. Big into this life extension thing, he really is. I mean, he's he's definitely, as you say, made some investments and he's made comments about wanting to to fund life extension research. He's also like you know really into the idea of sort of deregulating the pharmaceutical industry and uh, you know stuff that kind of feels like more mainstream Silicon Valley stuff. But I don't know. I, I kind of put this in in the category of like Peter Thiel the brand. I mean, it, as as like being the guy who funds the crazy out there stuff. I I don't know that like it's it's a huge. Amount of his yeah. time, and if you look at the amount of money he spent, it's really not that much. I so think he just
2: likes to fuck
0: with people. That's I why think he,
3: he likes him. to fuck with people. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so the thing that he first came on my radar was when he decided to essentially he put Gawker out of business. Yeah. And a lot of us sort of looked at it, and at least initially. I thought Gawker was, for lack of a better term, depraved. Some of the things they did, and I was rooting him on, and then you start thinking about, okay, what does it mean when billionaires can put media companies out of business? Do you think there's any other company or media company in his sights? He strikes me as someone who, simply put, I mean, I think your book's going to do really well because he is. A, I think he's a fascinating character. And I also don't think people really understand him. So if your book sheds light on this seminal character, I think it's going to do really well. But he strikes me as someone who, who definitely holds a grudge. Yeah. And... Uh, who, who do you think is in – who or what is in his sights right now?
3: Well, I, you know, I, I talked to some folks who worked on that Gawker campaign, and as you said, you know, you kind of almost have to separate the, the specifics of Gawker with the kind of long-term implications for, for free speech and for freedom mm-hmm. of the press. I don't think he's got another press target. I talked to some, some folks who were trying to, you know, egg him on and, and find one. And I think, he, as, as I understand, he was resistant to it. Um, he, you know, he, he wanted to, you know, grind Gawker and Nick Denton into dust. Check that box. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think when you look at, okay, well, who's he beefing with? Google is, I'd say, a, you know, an interesting candidate. I mean, I don't think it's, it's quite as profound as the, as the Gawker thing, but he has in all sorts of ways been kind of needling at Google, both with his public comments, with political contributions and plus with proximity and kind of funding and um, encouragement to these conservative activists who have been, you know, making it their business to kind of mess with the tech companies. Of course, you know, was it two years ago, he said that Google was like a, you know, a bunch of Chinese spies or something like that. So he's, Definitely hmm. training the canon there, um, and I think there's a bunch of different reasons for that. I think some of which are genuine, like genuinely ideologically he he doesn't like Google too much, but also, of course, um, knocking Google down a peg is probably helpful to Facebook. It's probably helpful to Palantir. It's probably helpful to many of the companies in which you know Teal is you know an investor. And and like like I said, I think it always works its way. It's partly ideological, partly kind of selfish.
2: Yeah, I would say so. He's a really interesting guy. I was always like, oh, he's going to sue us at some point. And someone actually told me, no, he likes you. You know what I mean? I was like, no, he would sue me if he needed to at any moment in time. He's a fascinating person. I think it'll be interesting what happens with the uh, J.D.
0: Vance. Yeah, but the good things. news is you have an army that's beginning to look like that's the Navy right. SEALs called your children. <laughs> that is correct. We will deploy it. Very <laughs> safe. All right, Max, the book is called The Contrarian Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power. It is available now. Thanks for your good work. Good luck with the book.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, Max. All right, Kara,
3: one more quick break. Still
0: to come, we'll tell Pivot listeners how to get into The Verge's 10th birthday party. What a thrill. And we'll be back for wins and fails.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling, wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com
4: slash tech. Support for the show comes from the Harvard Business Review. while much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only ten dollars a month. What a bargain! Go to hbr.org/subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT right now to get ten percent off your subscription. Again, save ten percent off your HBR subscription. Go to hbr.org/subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT.
0: Okay, Kara, wins and fails. What are yours? Do you have any or is it? Is it, what's the deal here? Here's the win. I got a win. The
2: announcement that uh, some of the early testing on children 5 to 12 on the mm-hmm. on the vaccines is looking mm-hmm. good. And it looks like yeah. a lot of those kids, that my, my daughter's too young at this point. Obviously, the baby isn't born yet. But that's really great news for a lot of parents. I know a lot of parents are nervous and I've done like, we've done a COVID test already with the school, you know, because she had a little cold and this and that. So I think it'll be really a, a relief to a lot of parents who are interested in getting their kids vaccinated, many, too many are not. I think that's a win and a fail. Uh, I don't have a fail. Go ahead, Scott. I'll think of it.
0: Well, first off, on your win, uh, word, my sister, it is a state of chaos down here, or as much chaos as you can have in our circle. We have... Uh, an unvaccinated 11-year-old boy and the entire second grade. You know, it's one person, one kid tests positive, and we fell into this cold comfort of thinking, and it was a false narrative that, oh, kids, don't worry about kids. Mm-hmm. And that's just not that's just not true. You need to be worried about kids. And to be clear, so far in Florida, I don't know if you say only 20 or 20 kids have passed away, uh, but this is really frightening. And, uh, and the vaccination for, uh, for a lot of us has been um, a real source, of, a real blessing, a real source of, of security and comfort. And to not have that across yeah. what are your most valuable assets is is really, really stressful. Did you
2: see some of the things they're doing in schools, though, so now instead of quarantining kids, they're testing them. They're doing more testing um, in order yeah. to keep them in well, school. Well, testing is
0: key. I mean, we, right. test, we test our 11-year-old every 48 hours. Yeah. My win is uh, my first day back, my fail was a lack of leadership on the part of President Biden to institute vaccine mandates. And there were a lot of good reasons, legal reasons. You can't do that. You can't do it at state level, at school level. And literally on cue the next morning, and I'm not claiming it's because of us, he announced a series of vaccine mandates, including the most powerful that any employer over 100 people has to vaccinate their employees. And immediately people were saying, oh, it might not be legal. And he said, have at it. And I think that's what leadership looks like. When we – FDR sent destroyers to Britain when it was illegal. We have invaded nations and killed hundreds of thousands of people under what most lawyers would describe as illegal. Gavin Newsom married you and it was probably illegal.
2: He didn't marry me specifically. But go ahead. (laughs) He didn't get married by Gavin Newsom. But
0: go ahead. I thought you told me Governor Newsom married you. No.
2: He passed the thing as mayor of San Francisco. I got married by, I don't know, the controller of the city. Whatever. Go ahead.
0: Hmm, I thought he married you. I like that no, image of like no. dreamy Gavin Newsom and you, no, you getting married. I, thought, no. I wish I'd like that image. Anyways, no, sorry. that was going to be my Christmas card Maybe this he year. could
2: marry you and I if I can get him to come to the co That's
0: conference. right, because I am your baby daddy. <laughs> the dog you. is the daddy. Yeah, no, come on, no, no. Come Neither on. is Peter Thiel. Oh, no. Great None of not Jeff Bezos. Great skater angry no. prone to depression terrible acne Listen, but a great a skateboarder too. all right your your win is well, my fail okay my fail my fail is i think i was really and i'm curious to get your take on this i was i i could not figure out my emotions when aoc showed up in the tax the Bad. rich dress Bad. and i thought okay she she is exactly the kind of person that should be at the met gala she's influential she's fashionable. She's scorching hot. Not that I notice looks and I don't want to objectify women, Mm -hmm. but the Met Gala should have ridiculously fashionable hot people like AOC. But I thought if a ridiculously good looking, hot Republican woman showed up with a dress that said no mask mandates,
3: Mm. it
0: really would have pissed me off. And then immediately, and that's not even my fail, because everything's been politicized. But the thing Mm. that I didn't like about it was that afterwards she got attacked, and she immediately went to, "Well, there's always a ton of criticism around powerful women, and it's the same thing Tucker Carlson does. That when anyone criticizes him, it was a mistake. Anyone criticizes him for saying spreading misinformation, he immediately his go to is it's the cultural elite and the Mm -hmm. establishment coming for me, and. Uh, my, my favorite comedian, Michelle Wolf's described it as kind of this Louisville sluggering, as she would call mm-hmm. it. And Kellyanne mm-hmm. Conway kind of invented it where you would say, okay, 26 people have accused the president of assault. And she would somehow end up within three seconds talking about how great America is. And it was like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? So I, I found that AOC – We a, call it
2: a cleg this week, but go ahead.
0: There, the there you go, a clegging. But I thought, okay, I didn't think that was a good move. But what I think made it worse was immediately wrapping herself in the sexism defense. And I don't think this was about sexism. She should just
2: have owned it. She should have just owned what she did. And it was, I thought it was a bad visual. I don't. It's. it's, I really am a big supporter of her. But I was like, oh no, I
0: can't. Yeah.
2: Anyway, I have a fail very quickly. Um, the Didi co-founder and president, Jean Liu, who I've had on stage at Code, by the way, mm-hmm. many years ago, is going to step down, and she expects China's government to take control of the company, which is this ride-sharing mm-hmm. company. The stock's down. This this move by China—they just did something else yeah, with
0: their serious. version of
2: TikTok. I think it's Doyen or something like that. They're mm-hmm. they're just trying to absolutely control the tech industry. This is—I'm watching this with a lot of interest. I'll just say. Yeah, I like Jean. I like Jean Lange. She's also the daughter of Lenovo founder, who is also getting uh, sort of attacked in China. And she's mm-hmm. you know, she's from an elite in China, a hundred percent, but incredibly interesting woman. Just very troubling what's happening And you know, This is reported by Reuters, by the way, sources said so
0: it's agreed. That's that is super interesting and, and also disturbing. Uh, yeah.
2: We're taking a listener question on Friday's show, as usual, Want to hear from you, and I mean here. Record a question for us at nymag.com slash pivot.
0: Okay, Kara, that's the show. Pivot listeners might like this. The Verge is turning 10 and they're celebrating live in NYC with an epic two-day event, October 22nd and 23rd. There'll be some incredible guests, immersive tech and art experiences, all-day DJs and great food and drinks. And for a limited time, we're offering our pivot listeners $50 off a standard ticket. Go to voxmediaevents.com slash ontheverge for tickets and enter the promo code URGE2VERGE for your 50 bucks off. That's URGE2VERGE, one word, all caps, no spaces. We'll be back on Friday for more. Today's show was produced by Lara Neiman, Evan Engel, Taylor Griffin, Ernie Undert engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify. If you liked our show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Making money is meaningful. Being relevant is meaningful. Having friends, being a good citizen is meaningful. But it's all a means to the ends. And the ends are raising children with someone you love. That is profound. Today, Kara Swisher... You are profound. Thank you, and Scott is not the father. I can confirm that. Hello, Daddy. Hello, (laughs) Daddy.
1: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals.